Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Life is full of awesome what ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. From the blackest corners of your mind, they call, pulling you deep into shadow, twisting your senses, keeping you from sleep. It's time to face your darkest fears. This is Tales to Terrify. Good evening, children of the night, and welcome. I'm excited to be able to start this week's episode by announcing the winner of our t-shirt design contest. Congratulations to Molly Riffler. I've put a link to Molly's winning design entitled Tales to Terrify Radio Family in the show notes, but you can explore more of Molly's work on her Instagram at pudding.bat as well as through her Instagram and Etsy as Alternate Bizarre Art, also in the show notes. She has some beautiful, haunting designs that you should absolutely check out for yourself. If you'd like to get your hands on some merch featuring the contest-winning design, you can find it, as well as others of Molly's work, linked in our Tee Public store. Simply go to talestoterrify.com slash merch, and it'll take you right there. Special mention to Cheryl Schopfer, Jessica Nason, Sean Tomlinson, Amber Thornbury, and Elijah Regan for sharing your truly spectacular talents with us. Your terrifying visions made for some very stiff competition. 
keep an eye out for all of the entries on our website. I'll hope to upload them there fairly soon. Speaking of entries and uploads, we are in the final stretch of our current round of submissions. You have one final week, Children of the Night, to get your stories into our submission platform. By now, I'm sure you know the drill. TalesToTerrify.com slash submissions. You've got until midnight central time on July 9th to type the end and cast your story into the abyss before the portal closes and seals forever. Or until our next round of submissions, anyway. Again, TalesToTerrify.com slash submissions. Don't miss out. We're getting right into our stories again this week, and tonight we start with a frightful piece of fiction from author Nico Bell. Nico Bell is the author of Food Fright and editor of Shiver, a chilling horror anthology. Several of her short stories have found homes in amazing outlets, such as The Second Corona Book of Horrors and The Gothic Blue Book Volume 6, A Krampus Carol. Nico is an avid reader and currently reviews books for Publishers Weekly. She can be found on Twitter and Instagram at Nico Bell Fiction and her website, NicoBellFiction.com. Links to each are in the show notes. Listen with me, children of the night, to Nico Bell's Lena's Ghost, first published in The Second Corona Book of Horror Stories, October 1st, 2018. Lena's thumb traced the ridges of her detective badge. It hung from her neck, a heavy pledge to do the right thing. And as the youngest detective in her precinct, it served as a constant reminder that everyone was watching her. An odor of sweat mixed with mold seeped from the prison walls while a sense of hopelessness soured the air. She'd sent plenty of women to this filthy place, but today she wore a visitor's badge sat in the hard chair across the table, kept her eyes focused on her lap, and waited. The clanking of the woman's handcuffs on the metal tabletop served as an introduction. This is a nice surprise. Two decades behind bars hadn't tarnished her mother's dry southern twang. Did someone die? What? No, Barbara. Why would you think that? Barbara shrugged. How many times have you come to visit? Four? Maybe five? And when you have graced me with your royal presence, it's always bad news. Lena steadied her rapid pulse with a deep breath. I need your help. Seriously? Barbara let out a single huff. Did you hear that, Miss Correction Officer? My baby girl needs my help. Settle down, inmate. The burly woman standing at the door crossed her arms over her chest. She's happy for me. Barbara turned her focus back to Lena. 
The guards don't show emotion, but this one here, she likes me. Ain't that right, Miss Correction Officer? The woman's jaw tightened and looked to Lena. You need me. I'll be on the other side of the door. She left as Barbara chuckled. This is serious. Lena leaned forward. I know we've never talked about that night, but I need to know the truth. For a second, something flickered across her mother's aged face. A flash of concern, maybe even regret. But it vanished into the folds of her wrinkled forehead. Now why would I want to go dredging up that old memory? Lena looked into Barbara's pale blue eyes. You killed three men in one night. I need to know why. Oh, come on, Buttercup. You're a fancy detective, after all. You can look up everything there is to know about my case. Humor me. Lena tried to steady her voice, but a tremble punctuated her words. She prayed her mom hadn't noticed. Just for once, be a mom and help your daughter. Or if that's too much work, how about trying to be a decent human being and tell the truth? Barbara's eyes widened and then narrowed into small slits until her brows pierced together. You've got some nerve. You think you're better than me, don't you? I am better than you. You're clueless. That's the truth. And when it comes to justice, honey, you're only scratching the surface with that shiny badge. Then tell me, Lena balanced on the edge of her seat, the men you killed. Did you know them beforehand? Really? Listen up, Buttercup. Don't call me that, she clipped the words. Sorry, Barbara sighed. No, I didn't know them, but you knew that already. And you got drunk? You know I did. Look, why don't you just spit out what this is all about? Why the sudden desire to drive down memory lane? What's going on, Lena? Lena ran her hand down her face, tucked her long black hair behind her ear, and focused on her mom's eyes. The incident report states you had alcohol and hallucinogenic drugs in your system at the time of your arrest. Apparently. And you stated that you saw two teenagers standing behind the men. Her mom turned her face away, focused on the side wall. Following them. Lena's stomach churned. Right. Okay. You said they followed the men into the party, stood beside them the whole time. Something like that. And at some point, you went into the kitchen, grabbed a butcher's knife from the block, and stabbed one of the men. If that's what the report says. Barbara! The anger boiled over. Lena slammed her open palm on the table, ignoring the sting. This is important. Barbara stared at Lena's hand, fingers sprawled out on the tabletop. Yeah, I stabbed him. After that, I'm not sure what happened. Chaos, really. And at some point I blacked out. Okay. Lena let her gaze settle back to her hands, folded in her lap. She squeezed them tight until they stopped shaking. I'd do it again, you know. Yeah, so you've said once or twice. Lena leaned back. What about the teenagers? There's not much else said about them other than they were a part of the group. Barbara chewed on her lower lip. Who were they? Why did you feel it was important to mention your hallucinations? Hallucinations. The words stretched from her mom's throat. Every day I think of those boys. 
Barbara. Lena's mind scrambled for the right words, but any attempt to form her question, the one she'd driven hours to get an answer for, only got jumbled in the back of her throat. Do you remember those boys, or do you... Were they... Can you remember if... What? Nothing. Lena waved away the question. Forget it. McKenna was right. McKenna? Lena cursed. Ah... Barbara gave a slow nod. Yet another part of your life you don't want your mother to know about. I get it. I won't waste any more of your precious time. She pushed back the chair and stood. A parade of swear words marched through her head. How could she have thought this was a good idea? Her mom was sick, a murderer. What sort of help could Barbara ever give? Wait, please. Her mom slid to the edge of her chair. You see them, don't you? You want to know if what I saw was really a hallucination, or if it's possible for a person to see ghosts. Am I right? Pressure mounted behind Lena's eyes, and she bit her lip to keep from trembling. I'm not sure what I see. For all I know, you could have some mental illness that got passed to me. Or maybe that night it was really just the booze and drugs whipping up imaginary people in your mind. And maybe what I see is just a result of sleep deprivation. Well, I can help you with some of that. You're not crazy. At least not because of some genetic stuff. I've seen plenty of psychologists over the last few decades, and not one of them says I'm batty. She motioned her head towards the empty seat. Go on. Sit back down, honey. I'll tell you anything you want to know, and to God. But first, I want you to answer one question. What? How many people are in this room? Well, um, Lena looked into the creamy eyes of the others, the eyes she'd been trying to avoid since her mom entered the room. There's you and me. Okay, Einstein. Anyone can see us. Who else? Lena frowned. The men from the party, all three of them. Her mom nodded. And? And two women one with a gash on her head, another with blood-soaked clothes, both in prison jumpsuits. Her mom let out a long, slow breath like a balloon releasing air from a pinpricked hole. How long have you been able to see these types of folks? You mean ghosts? Lena laughed without humor as a rogue tear ran down her cheek. She wiped it with the back of her hand. Not long. I'm sorry, Buttercup. I really am. I don't know how I got this way, but I always hoped you'd never be like me. And the way Barbara's shoulders slumped forward, the way her lips curved down, made Lena think that maybe, just this once, her mom spoke the truth. But now, you've got a responsibility. Same as myself. What are you talking about? Lena shook her head. Are you saying I should start killing people the way that you did? No way. Never. Barbara's lips pursed together. Never. Lena spit the word in her mom's face, a flame fanning in her core. Have the ghosts shown you their deaths? Lena's mouth dropped open. Yeah, I didn't think so. Let them touch you. They'll show you how they died. Barbara lowered her head, her voice soft. No, that doesn't describe it right. They'll let you experience it. 
Moisture clouded her eyes as she focused on Lena. Then you can judge me. That's what happened at the party. It wasn't really a question, but Barbara nodded. I thought I'd lost my mind when I first saw them, but they put their hands on my arm and then everything made sense. She rested her elbows on their table. Their murders would never have been solved. You don't know that. Really? Have you looked into it? Lena slumped. She'd read the report. The three murdered men, suspects in an alleged robbery gone fatally wrong, but there wasn't enough evidence to make the charges stick. Oh, buttercup, Barbara sighed. I'd never felt rage like that. Those teenagers, they demanded action, and I wasn't able to control myself. After that night, it took time to adjust, just like it'll take time for you as well. But you'll be able to channel their anger and pick your battles. No, Lena looked at the badge. There's always another way. New evidence to find. DNA. A witness. Something. If that were true, you wouldn't be here asking my permission. Tell me, whose ghost do you see? Her pulse quickened. Ah, okay, Barbara nodded. It's someone you know. A co-worker? A friend? I see a lot of ghosts, apparently. It's a new perk of the job. Then arrest the people responsible. If it's that easy, then work within the law and make it happen. Lena pinched the bridge of her nose. I think... I can't be sure, but from what I've experienced, the ghosts are those who will never get justice through the system. Then is what we're doing so bad? Stop. Lena steadied her nerves, replaced the wobble in her tone with the confidence she'd long ago planted and worked decades to harvest. There is no me in you. Never was. Never will be. Honey, under the right circumstances, anyone can be like me. Lena's throat tightened because hadn't she seen that exact thing over and over since becoming a cop? The guard opened the door, poked her head in over the threshold. Wrap it up, ladies. Lena leaned forward. Was it worth it? Was losing your freedom, your entire life, worth killing those men? Think of all the lives you destroyed. Barbara's smile spread to her eyes. You seem to be doing just fine. But your dreams, all flushed away. What good are you to anyone behind bars? The guard stepped in, took Barbara by the arm. Lena jumped to her feet, a desperation clawed under her skin, and she fought the urge to grab her mom's shoulder and shake her. Please, Mom, I don't know what to do. Lena's words hung in the air between them. Her mom looked over her shoulder, a softness in her eyes. It's okay, Buttercup. Just do the right thing. The wind slapped Lena's cheek as she stepped out of the prison. McKenna leaned against her car, her pink lipstick kissing the rim of her cigarette. I thought you quit. Lena took it out of her girlfriend's hand, puffed, and handed it back. How'd it go? McKenna flicked the rest of the cigarette to the ground, grinding it with her boot. I don't know. It was weird, I guess. Lena took McKenna's hand, but the familiar warmth offered no comfort. Yeah, I can imagine. I still can't understand why you'd want to visit after all this time. 
Lena shrugged. I thought she could help me on a case. The lie slipped out so naturally. Well, did she? Lena let her eyes fall to the ghost standing next to McKenna. Three-year-old Thomas, McKenna's son. The son she claimed her ex kidnapped. The son Lena spent days and resources investigating and searching for all over the city. And now Thomas stood with those milky eyes and pale skin, head tilted up towards Lena. He reached out his hand. McKenna rubbed Lena's arm. Hey, are you okay? You've been a little off these past days. Thomas stepped forward the thumping of Lena's heart echoing through her ears. For a second, he paused, but when Lena made no move to stop him, he placed his tiny hand on top of hers. A frozen tidal wave rippled over her skin, her brain sizzled with his memories. McKenna and her ex fought in their apartment's living room. Thomas cowered in the corner, curled into a tiny ball hugging his fluffy stuffed kitten. Lena withered and slumped to the pavement as fear crept through her vein. Through his veins. Babe! McKenna dropped to one knee, gripped Lena's shoulder. What's wrong? Lena watched McKenna's ex point to Thomas, say something about never wanting to be a parent. Screaming. Stomping. The front door slams. The ex leaves. Gone forever, McKenna cried into her palms. And Thomas cried, because he didn't know what was going on except that one of his parents just walked out. He's so confused, Lena whispered. What did you say? Babe, talk to me. What do you need? The tightness wrapped around Lena as she saw McKenna begin to squeeze Thomas. So many curse words, so much anger being hurled at his precious little soul. And then McKenna's hand wrapped around her son's throat. Stop! Lena's entire body vibrated with panic as she gasped for a single speck of oxygen. McKenna cupped her hands around Lena's face. Breathe, babe, relax. It's going to be okay. You're having a panic attack. No. Lena rested her head against the car. Thomas stood in front of her and let go of her hand. It's not okay. You're under a lot of stress. You've been working every minute trying to find Thomas, and then seeing your mom? What happened in there? What did your mom do to you? McKenna's hand smoothed the back of Lena's hair. The truth. Lena's voice barely spoke above a whisper. Mom told me the truth. I knew this was a bad idea. You need to promise never to come back. That woman is poison. She triggered something, didn't she? She's driving you crazy. Lena shook her head, rubbed her throat. I love you, McKenna. I want you to always know that. McKenna wrapped her arms around Lena. I love you too. Lena buried her face into her girlfriend's hair, inhaled the sweet scent of strawberry shampoo. Then she untangled herself. She looked at Thomas. I'm going to see my mom again. No, Lena, don't. Turns out, she's useful. She helped me. Really? 
McKenna's eyes widened. She answered my question. So, driving all the way up here? Taking time off work? Driving yourself crazy just to see her face to face? It's all worth it? Lena closed her eyes. Under the right circumstances, anyone can be like me. Just do the right thing. Lena allowed her body to harden, a sense of numbness to blanket her. Yes, it's worth it. That was Nico Bell's Lena's Ghost, as read by Seth Williams. Seth Williams is a narrator who has read for Far-Fetched Fables, Starship Sofa, and Tales to Terrify, where he currently volunteers as managing editor. When not day-jobbing, he enjoys listening to fiction podcasts and audio drama. He shares his life with an amazing partner, dog, and a cat. Thank you, Seth. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com acast. Our second story tonight comes from H.L. Fullerton. H.L. Fullerton writes fiction, mostly speculative, occasionally about hands that turn into knives, and has had more than 60 short stories published in places like Lackington's, Daily Science Fiction, Mystery Weekly, and Tales to Terrify, including first and second offerings on episode 286, Disturbing the Huntsman on episode 363, and, most recently, Lend Me Hands Idle and Sharp on episode 472. You can find H.L. on Twitter at ByHLFullerton. Children of the Night, join me for H.L. Fullerton's Sober Kevin is a Bitch, first published in Triptych Tales, January 2016.
why don't you do all of us a favor and drink yourself to death? Sober Kevin says as I stumble into the bathroom. I'm coming down hard from partying, and his disapproving face is the last thing I want to see before I brush my teeth. Also, there's barely enough space for one in here. You even remember what you did last night? I rub my face. My eyes feel like cement. I had a few beers with Jay and Rob. Chill. I'm pretty sure sober Kevin is a hallucination. A side effect of the vacay, and not the harbinger of holocausts he claims to be. I reach for my toothbrush and see two sitting on the sink. One green, one purple. I flick the purple one and it disappears. Hopefully before sober Kevin spotted it. And eight hits of vacay, sober Kevin says, holding an impromptu arraignment while standing in my mold-scummed tub. In case I lost count, which I did, but I'd hardly admit that to him, he repeats, eight. Fuck. Eight? That's a lot even for me. No wonder my memory's done a fade to black. I step in front of the toilet and unzip. How about some privacy? How about not collapsing the multiverse? He says, staying right where he is. I'm not the only, uh... He almost tricks me into saying addict. Um, guy who pops vacay. I don't see you haunting them. Sober Kevin thinks the drug is destroying the folds of my brain that keep the alternate universes where they belong. He claims I'm a black hole in the making. Says the only way to get rid of him and his bitching is to stop doing vacay and hope the pockets heal themselves. Sober Kevin implies it may already be too late. Whether he means for me or the multiverse, I'm not sure. I get that you don't give a rat's ass about yourself, but try not to fuck it up for the rest of us. Sober Kevin is a fan of tough love. He gets that from our dad. Or maybe from me. I mean... I know I'm crap, but it hurts he thinks it, too. Has me scouting the sink for a not-yet-emptied bottle. He steps out of the tub and elbows me in the back as he strides out of the bathroom, which fucks my aim some. You might want to take a shower, he calls over his shoulder. Your mom's on her way over. Did I mention sober Kevin can see the future? I almost don't shower. Mom's good for some easy cash, and likely to hand over more the worse I look. It's supposed to go toward rent or food, an interview suit, as if that'd ever happen, or new shoes. It tends to get spent on other things. I feel bad about that, just not bad enough to stop. But I clean myself up best I can. I'm out of soap, and no matter how hard I squint, none appears on the tub's rim, because I don't want to give sober Kevin 
Another thing to complain about. Man rides my ass enough. I'm barely dry before I start to feel rough. Clean on the outside, well, relatively, isn't the same as clean inside. And my insides itch. I start poking around the apartment, trying to play it cool, checking my stashes. But goddamn sober Kevin has cleaned me out. He watches from a tatty green sofa as I prowl around the room. I can't find my watch. You know, the one mom gave me for graduation? I say. He smirks. You pawned it. And you can stop looking. It's all gone. Every last drop. Every bitty pill. I'm still searching when Mom calls from the street, asking if it's okay to come inside. Yes, yeah, it's fine, I tell her, and look over to find sober Kevin gone. He doesn't stick around when I have company. Either he's worried someone will ask questions about us, or my brain can't maintain the illusion with an audience. Mom wants to take me to lunch, but I tell her I already ate. She pretends to believe me, her eyes scanning for paraphernalia, her nose wrinkling at my lies. I'm doing better, I say, and she nods, but without conviction. She's heard this song before. Before I can push harder, open those purse strings. Sober Kevin walks out of the bathroom. My breath catches on a wad of spit. Oh, I didn't know you had company. Hello? She sounds confused. I think, shit, how will I explain this? Hey, Mom, this is your son from an alternate universe. He's a better version of me. Why don't you take him home and you both can live happily ever after? At least until my brain rots and we all fall down? Sober Kevin marches over, wearing his off-the-rack suit, and says, Keep the twenty in your purse. You're not helping. He won't ever get better with you babying him. Then... He leaves the apartment, both of us staring after him. Is he your sponsor, honey? She grips her purse like I'm a potential mugger. My what? I stare at her now, realize she didn't recognize him. Our own mother. How could she not see? You have a mirror? I ask her because I smashed all mine when sober Kevin first started visiting. She gives me a strange look, but digs into her purse and hands me a compact. I eye myself. Here I thought sober Kevin and I were twinsies, and we look nothing alike. I can almost see the holes in my brain. He didn't look familiar to you. No. She peers into me. Is he a friend from high school? He looks like a nice boy. I laugh. It's okay. I didn't know him at first either. Mom palms me money when she leaves, and I go straight to the liquor store. 
can't quite drink myself to death on a twenty, but it's a start. When Jay calls, I smash my phone until it stops ringing. Immediately, I regret it. The alcohol isn't touching me. I need some vacay to smooth the edges. I get as far as the door. Remember sober Kevin storming out. Did he go back to his world? Is he done with me? If I take some vacay, he'll have to come back. I open the door. He'll... Sober Kevin is standing on the other side of the door. Going somewhere? He asks. His eyes flick like whips over me. If he could kill me, I'd be dead. Good thing he can't. I asked once why he didn't just end me and fix everything, and he told me any fix in my world had to be DIY. Self-murder is its own avalanche, he said, and I don't want to be buried with you. Sometimes I think I keep pushing to see how far he'll let me go before he takes the multiverse's fate into his own hands. I'm sensing sober Kevin may be at the end of his rope, and I'm going to be the one who gets hanged. I step back. I thought for sure she'd know you were me. She hasn't seen this you in a long time. His voice is quiet, sad. It's not just us you're destroying. It's everyone. Don't you get that? Mom's not. Did you even look at her? That woman is worn out. All she does is worry. It's eating her up, and if you don't stop, if she doesn't let go, she's going to lose her entire family. Your sister already resents her. Your dad's going to leave her. She's going to die in an apartment not that different from this one. And as soon as you hear, you'll be over there scrounging whatever cash she has lying around. I wouldn't. Sober Kevin talks over me. He's on a roll. And since you don't find much, you steal her debit card and empty her bank account. You get so high, you miss the funeral. But you tell yourself that's okay because everyone blamed her dying on you anyways and attending would just make them mad. And when you finally get a moment of clarity and realize your mother is dead, your mother is gone. The only reason you feel sad is because there's no one left to palm you twenties. I slump on the couch and think how nice some vacay would feel right now. If you were dead, sober Kevin whispers, your mom would be set free. She'd be sad, really sad, cry her heart out for days sad. But eventually, she'd move on, and your sister would name one of her kids after you, and your mom would play with her grandchildren and think of you but she'd only remember the good times. She'd tell everyone about our smile and how it lit up a room, and she'd say, Baby Kevin smiles just like that. That's not true, I tell him. You're making that up. My family wouldn't be happier without me. Wouldn't they? 
we search each other for the truth. If I got clean, they'd... Sober Kevin sighs, sits next to me. <sighs> but that's the hitch, isn't it? You can't stay clean. How many times has Mommy paid for rehab? I push myself off the cushions. You think if you make me mad enough, I'll stop the vacay just to get rid of you? But I could just as easily up the vacay and kill us both. All, he says. Kill us all, just like you did Livy. Livy is dead? My heart lurches. Sober Kevin starts. I thought that's why... His eyes glaze like he's trying to sort timelines. It's the first time he's been wrong. I wonder if that means the multiverse is melting into a giant puddle of brain goop. Sorry, those are different Kevins. You're the, my girlfriend broke up with me after I broke my leg in a DUI accident and I got hooked on painkillers to cope, Kevin. My arms flail. My skin feels too tight. Livy, dead. I picture her standing in my bedroom, tears on her cheeks, saying, Kevin, my parents don't want me to see you. I don't want to see you. I picture her lying in a coffin, organ music playing. I could have killed her, killed us both. Somewhere, I did. That gives me a squirmy feeling in my head. Somewhere there is a Kevin worse than me. It's a mix of tiny jubilation and sick disgust. I force myself back on the couch. Tell me about the other Kevins. It's the first time I've asked. We're all the same person. One Kevin. Just our lives are different. Sometimes really different. Sometimes only a little different. Anything a Kevin can do, at least one of us has experienced, or will experience, or sort of a sequence of options, or a spiral of consequences. Either way, we exist, side by twisting side, ad infinitum. Somewhere I'm clean. Somewhere you never drank at that party. Somewhere you're deciding whether or not to drink at that party. He shrugs. Somewhere, you and Livy never met. Maybe I'm just junky, Kevin. Maybe that's all I can be. Maybe I'm supposed to end us. Maybe I'm meant to be Black Hole Kevin. Sober Kevin shakes his head, opens his mouth to speak, then laughs. He's laughing at me. Maybe at himself, but that's the same thing, isn't it? What? I was just thinking how much easier this would be for you to understand if you were high. And I laugh too, because he's right. Listen, he says. You can't think of it as good Kevin, bad Kevin. We're a some greater than its parts thing. All of us can be better. All of us should be better. Life is us trying to be the best version of me we can be. But it isn't a competition. There isn't one winner. We all win. 
Every time one of us does better, we all do better. He doesn't say, every time one of us fails, we all get dragged down in your muck, dickhead. Sober Kevin has morphed into cheerleader Kevin. Are you high? I ask, and he smiles. Small, but it counts. Then his face gets grim. He grabs my hand and holds it. It's indescribable to have my hand in my hand. I'm so busy sorting the feelings, I almost miss his next words. I know. His words imply deep, dark secrets are going to spill out. I want nothing more than to dam up his mouth, brick it shut. What do you know? My words are a warning. No trespassing. Keep out. Silly for me to think sober Kevin can only see the future. I know why. I know the secrets you keep, and how hard it is to keep them. I know how sick it makes you feel. I shouldn't have said that thing about you being the broken leg, painkiller addict, Kevin. I do that to keep the details straight. So you believe me when I tell you about your life. Because if I get one thing wrong, addict you will jump all over it. Go on, admit it. Minute I messed up about Livy, you thought I was all bullshit and were ready to get out and score. He's wrong about that. Mostly. But fuck him. I'm not about to play dig up the past and guess the rotting parts. I try to take my hand back, but he won't let go. Don't do this, I tell him. I can't do this now. My skin is already trying to crawl off my bones. My stomach clenches tight around sharp, calcified marbles of disgust and fear and hate. Wants to throw them up, but I can't. I can't. Okay, he says, grip still tight, still solid and sure. But hear this. Hang on to this part, because it will help so much. The verses run at different speeds. We exist concurrently, but we're not all the same age. In some lives, Kevin is just turning 13. He plays baseball, not soccer. Don't talk about soccer. Don't. He's never met. Stop. He doesn't. Sober Kevin never knows when to shut up. He never will. He won't be trapped in that room. Forced, I scream and wrench my hand away. The pain is so intense, I think I've ripped my hand off. Then realize the pain is all on the inside. Shut up, I yell, curling into a ball and rolling on the floor. Shut up! Sober Kevin hugs himself around me. That Kevin doesn't have to go through what we went through. If you collapse the multiverse, he says, that Kevin never gets the chance to be happy. I'm shaking and choking on tears, and I want nothing more than for him to stop talking. 
His words are tripping memories in my head. Memories I want to shove into those black hole fissures he's so fucking worried will swallow us all. Fuck, I want to shove him into those pockets. Somewhere you've already done this. That doesn't help. When you tell your family, when he's vehement that this will happen here in my life, they'll understand. And your sister won't have to name her kid after you because she has you. Do you hear me? She has you. I'm not sure if I'm collapsing the multiverse or just collapsing, but I black out hearing sober Kevin insist. You have to. When I wake, he's gone. But I'm still here. I feel like shit, but I'm here. It's over, I remind myself. It's over. And that helps. I half remember sober Kevin whispering those same words in my ear, but maybe that was a dream. I go to a meeting, then rehab. I get sober, stay clean move into a new apartment, meet a girl, wonder why sober Kevin never told me about her, understand why he didn't. He didn't want me dragging Imee down with us. I don't want that either. I worry that somewhere that's exactly what happened, is happening, will happen. But life is getting good, going good. Then one day, I head into the men's room at work. I'm in insurance, and end up in my old apartment. Or at least a close, smelly clone. The couch is plaid instead of green, and the window has a blanket instead of a sheet draping it. There's a naked Kevin sitting on an air mattress that's mostly deflated, and he's about to take a vacation. I slap the pills out of his hand. I don't want to be back here. I can't be back here. Stop it. You're killing yourself. You're killing all of us. I wail. Jesus Christ. No wonder sober Kevin hated my ass so bad. He had a life, a job, and I'm waiting for him in their nice pine-scented home, and he kept ending up in mine. I want to kill this dumb motherfucker in front of me. But remember, sober Kevin said that won't work. Dude, this Kevin mumbles, peering up at me with bleary, red-rimmed eyes. Don't be such a bitch. That was H.L. Fullerton's Sober Kevin is a Bitch, as read by me. Links to my personal pages are in the show notes. Well, children of the night, the hour is late 
and we've run out of tales to tell. For now. Tales to Terrify is made possible by the tremendous generosity of our supporters on Patreon and PayPal. Amazing fans like Kathy Robinson, aka Deadly Blonde. If you're not a supporter already, be like Kathy. Head over to patreon.com slash tales to terrify, where you'll find all kinds of perks, from ad-free episodes and bonus content, to shoutouts and merch packs. Every dollar goes back into the show to help make it as dark and devious as possible. And we appreciate it so much. Want another way to support the show that doesn't cost a cent? Head over to Stitcher, Podchaser, or Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review. You'll not only put an unnaturally wide smile on our faces, but help new listeners discover our terrifying tales, too. Now you can share your love of the show out in the world with some Tales to Terrify merch. TalesToTerrify.com slash merch will take you to our Tee Public store, where we've got a great collection of creepy custom and curated designs that's always growing, so check back often. Tales to Terrify is produced by Seth Williams, Pete Morsellino, Meredith Morgenstern, Brian Rollins, and myself, Drew Sebastini, with original theme by Nebulous Entertainment. Tales to Terrify is distributed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. Join us again next week as we brave the fiery depths for more Tales to Terrify. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 